The scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. So, uh, do we have any Mariners fans in the house today? Any Seattle Mariners fans? All right. They are one and one. Yeah. So, my question to you this morning is, do you believe, believe, that they'll go 500 this season? Anybody want to go there? Yeah, all right. We have a believer. Right, good. Now, they... I don't know why more hands didn't go up. They are already at 500. So I, obviously I asked the wrong question. Now what if I said, uh, do you think the Seattle Seahawks are going to, do you believe they're going to go to the Super Bowl next year? Yeah. yeah, all right, now we're getting somewhere, right? Uh, how many people believe that Loyola of Chicago was going to make it to the Final Four in the, in the recent basketball tournament? How many people? Did anybody have them going to the Final Four? You did? Awesome. We had one, right, one believer in the house, right? How many people believed 
that the 1980 U.S. hockey team would beat the Russians professional hockey team in the 1980 Olympics. How many people believe that at the time? Those of you who were around, right? Yeah, a few of you believed. It's easier to believe after it happened, right, isn't it? Because that's part of belief, right? You know, we see it to believe it. That's the kind of people we are. I got to see it to believe it. And I think about that. What do we call that hockey game? What do we call that hockey game when they won? What do we call it? The miracle on ice, right? The miracle. We have come today to celebrate a miracle, but I, I wonder about our religious belief today, and I wonder if sometimes our religious belief has actually been misplaced, not in the Seattle Mariners, but in sports. I mean, think about how people worship sports. <laughs> I, I dare anybody to come to church next, next week with painted FFMC colors. I, I dare you to do that next week. <laughs> But notice, notice that what, what are they doing? What is happening here? In fact, I was watching uh, some friends of ours who were Baltimore Ravens fans. I won't go any further with that. But they were Baltimore Ravens fans, and it was one of the playoff games, and the kicker was getting ready to, to kick a field goal. And I remember, he, this was a member of the church, and, and he was, I had never seen him act this way in church, but he was kneeling in front of his TV set with his hands in prayer right before the field goal. His wife took a picture of it and sent it to me and said, look at this. This guy who's so reserved in church is bowing for a field goal, right? And then after they scored the field goal, he jumped up and his hands were raised. He was Pentecostal all of a sudden, right? <laughs> so my question is, has religion, has our belief and our ability to believe transferred over to sports? Maybe that's become our new religion. I don't know. I'm just raising it up. Look at how people act. You'd think they were in church. But I think about that, and what makes it so easy for us to believe in these miracles on ice or these other things that are happening in human life, but yet sometimes it becomes hard for us to believe in the resurrection. And we say, well, I need to see it to believe it, right? <laughs> and that's kind of what's happening today. There's a couple things why we, the one reason we say that is because we actually live in what I, what's been called a materialistic worldview, which means that they're the ironclad laws that are at work in the world that not even God can change. That's a materialistic worldview that, that, that there are certain things that just God's not gonna intervene, God's not gonna do anything, God can't change anything. Even if I believe in God, God's not gonna come in and bend or change the rules and bring a dead person back to life. So that's a materialistic worldview. I think the other thing that sometimes when we read this text and I've heard many people say about the text, well, you know, that was then. We have modern science today. We have modern medicine today. We understand a lot more today than they did 2,000 years ago about, about death and life, and we have so much more to understand today. And so we assume, we make an assumption sometimes that we know better than Mary or Peter or the disciples. I would counter that. And I would suggest to you this morning that I believe that Peter and Mary and the other disciples were better experts at death and seeing death than you and me. Because modern science has actually pushed death away from us, right? Modern science has actually made us, how often do we actually see death? Mary, Peter, the other disciples, they saw death all the time. They saw their friends die, their family members die. They did not have life-saving techniques and medicine to help save. So they knew what it was to see someone who had died. They knew what death looked like. And if you've ever seen someone die, you can tell the difference between someone who is living and somebody who is dead. It is clear to you. 
But we don't do that, right? We don't, we don't see death. We actually push death to the margins of our life. So I don't know that we would understand or know death if we saw it. Where, where do you get your hamburger today? Right? They lived in a society where they knew where the meat came from. We get it packaged, wrapped for us, put in the grocery store. Right? We don't see death. And that's part of our culture. We've kind of pushed death to the side. But I would suggest to you that these people who were witnesses to the first resurrection were people who knew death and knew what death looked like better than we do. But notice this, too, <laughs> about the text this morning, that, you know, who were the first skeptics of the resurrection? Mary and Peter. Mary and Peter were actually the first skeptics because when Mary goes to the tomb and finds it empty, now Mary possibly was one of the women who helped to prepare Jesus' body for burial. She was the one that, along with another guy, Joseph of Arimathea, may have placed him in the tomb, prepared his body to be placed in the tomb. She probably knew he was dead. But notice that her, notice she's the first skeptic of the resurrection. What does she say when she comes back? She doesn't say, hey, he's risen. She says, somebody took the body. She knew that she had put a dead body in the tomb. She knew that the only way that that body could be moved was if somebody took the body. So she's the first skeptic of the possibility of a resurrection. She's the first skeptic of this miracle. So then she runs and she tells Peter and she tells uh, uh, the other disciple who actually runs faster I guess he was younger, or maybe he was just more devoted to Jesus. I don't know why he runs faster. But they run to the tomb, and one waits, and Peter goes in, and he sees the, the head cloth of the burial cloth that had been folded and set aside. And he sees the grave clothes, and he's still trying to figure it out. But he walks out of the tomb, and he goes home. He, he's still, I think, wondering, pondering, how did this happen? Who took the body? Did somebody take the body? Was it the Jews, the religious leaders? Who was it? How did the body disappear? Why is the tomb empty? I think Peter's trying to figure it out. But yet, notice the other disciple. He sees that, and he says to himself, I believe in the possibility that Jesus might be resurrected. So he actually doesn't see the resurrected Christ, but belief starts to enter into his heart even before he sees. Interesting. Interesting that belief could start to happen before someone actually sees, and that's possible. He starts to see some evidence that suggests to him that maybe something else is going on here. He doesn't know what yet, but it says that he believed. I also think it's interesting that Mary, even is, 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 is so skeptical, so certain that Jesus was dead, that she actually goes uh, to the tomb again, and she looks in and she sees two angels. Now, how many people always want a sign from God? Like, God, if you would just show up, right, in my life and, like, just drop down in front of me and just, like, give me an angel or something, you know, I'd know exactly what you want me to do. Anybody ever pray that prayer? You know, I just need, like, a neon sign flashing. Go this way, right, you know? Mary got it. Mary saw two angels sitting in the tomb, and what's going on? She still doesn't believe. <laughs> She's still asking them the same question. Where is the body? <laughs> Why is that? Because she knows what death looks like, and she knows that Jesus had died. What's going on? Why can't they believe? Because they're like us. <laughs> they're not much different than us. They knew how death and life worked. They were the first skeptics of the resurrection. 
And even as Mary lingers and she weeps, she waits. And when she notices someone else there, who does she assume it is? Not Jesus. <laughs> in her mind, in her worldview, Jesus is dead. Until, until she doesn't see him, what does she do? She hears him. She hears her name called. She hears the name Mary. That's all Jesus says. And in that moment, she recognizes the risen Lord. She didn't see. She believed before she saw. I think about this. See, for, for, for these folks that seeing was believing, but she heard it as well as she saw the risen Christ. Now, one of the things about this is that, did you, do you know that there are different ways of seeing and believing? Did you know that, because we often think there's only one way. There's only one way to see and believe, right? We say seeing is believing. I want to suggest to you that actually when they wrote this text, when John wrote this text, he actually used different words that we translate in English, see. And there were different ways that the disciples and Mary were seeing and then believing. And there were basically three different ways, three different things that were going on in this passage. So when Mary goes to the empty tomb the first time, there's a Greek word there called blepo. I'm sure you guys you got, brought your Greek Bibles today. I just check in. Not that you need. Don't, you don't have to remember that word, but you have to remember this. That just means to see. Like, I see all of you right now. I'm seeing you. I see your faces. If I walk outside, I see a bush. It's green. I see that it's green. It's observational seeing. So when Mary goes to the tomb, the first time, she, is just, she sees an empty tomb. It's observational sight. And she's wondering what's going on. So now she's trying to figure it out because she just, blep, the word is blepo. She just physical act of seeing. But when Peter goes into the tomb and he looks at the grave clothes, there's a different Greek word used here that I call the Oreo. The Oreo, because that's the way it's spelled, the Oreo. It's not the cookie, but it's theoreo, theoreo, right? Not that you need to remember that. Just remember the Oreo, all right? That's all you got to know. So he, did, he went in and he saw an Oreo cookie. No, I'm just kidding. So he goes in and what he's doing is he's seeing it differently. He's not just observing. It says that he beholds it. He's looking at it. He's, he's in a state of wonder and puzzlement. He's analyzing the situation. He's seeing, but he's also trying to understand, trying to comprehend, trying to establish meaning. He's seeing it differently than just an empty tomb. Does that make sense? He's trying to figure it out. He's in a state of wonder and puzzlement. He's actually analyzing the situation. Whereas the other disciple goes in, and the same Greek word is used, but he sees this and he doesn't analyze it, he believes. Which suggests that he sees evidence of the resurrection and he believes in the resurrection without ever seeing Jesus. He looked at the evidence and then he believed, which is another way to believe, right? So, and then, after Mary sees Jesus, hears Jesus, and sees Jesus, she is, what is she doing when she's hearing and seeing Jesus? She's encountering Jesus. She's experiencing him personally, right? And so, she sees and believes, but it's a different type, it's an experiential type of seeing. And actually, another Greek word here is used here, orao, which means to experience it. <laughs> 
to encounter something, to see something, but also encounter and experience something, which is different than just seeing, observing, or analyzing and wondering. It's actually experiencing. And for her, at that moment, the resurrection is not a matter of faith, is it? It's fact. See, she didn't have to have faith in the resurrection. She actually saw the risen Christ. She has fact at work in her life. She could see it for herself. Seeing is believing for her. But it's interesting that the gospel writer goes on later after Jesus appears several times to his disciples and he appears again to doubting Thomas, the other skeptic in the text that we didn't read about today, who says, if, unless I put my finger in his nail marks in his, in his hands and in his feet, I will not believe. And Jesus appears to him and he says, do you believe now? <laughs> is that what you need? John goes on and says this. He says, because you have seen me, guess what Greek words use there? Because you have seen me, meaning because you have experienced me, the risen Christ, you believe. That's easy, he's saying. It's easy to believe if you've experienced me. Blessed are those who have not seen or experienced me and yet have believed. That there is this blessing that comes with us who have not necessarily experienced the risen Christ physically manifested for us. I know some people who have, but, but those most of us may have not have seen that physical resurrection like Paul on the Damascus Road. But yet we can still believe. We can experience the risen Christ in our own lives even though we have not been true eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Think about that. I was thinking about how the disciples... You know, when they were seeing Jesus, I always have to ask the question later on, why when they were put to death, many of them, many of those first disciples were put to death, not because of what they knew to be faith, but because of what they knew to be fact. They couldn't unsee this. Have you ever said that? I can't unsee that anymore, right? I saw a picture on Facebook this week of, I don't even know if I want to tell you what it looked like because I can't unsee it now. You know, and I, and I say to myself, I can't unsee that anymore. Now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. I think the resurrection for them, they can't unsee it, right? So all of them died for what they saw. People asked them to recant their faith. Peter was crucified upside down in the ground because he did not think he was worthy to be crucified right up, up, upright. All of the disciples, all the, those eyewitnesses of the resurrection all went to their deaths, refusing to recant their belief, except for John, who is exiled in the island of Patmos and writes the book of Revelation. He is put in prison, but because, why? Because he would not renounce what he knew to be, what? Fact. There are certain things you can't unsee. Seeing and believing. So where are you at today? on Easter Sunday. What do you believe? Maybe you believe the tomb is empty. By the way, they have still not found the body. Just a, just a reminder. But maybe you're here today and you say, all right, I, I believe the tomb is empty. I, I believe they went and the tomb was empty, but that's all I can see. That's all I can believe. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you have enough faith to come here and to celebrate and to rejoice with us because I actually think that's a step of faith just to go to the tomb and see that it's empty. That's actually a step of faith. 
So if you can come here and see that the tomb is empty and recognize the tomb is empty and see that the tomb is empty, even though you don't understand how it all works, that's good. You're seeing something. You're seeing an empty tomb. And so I hope that you'll be able to see beyond that as you move ahead in life. Maybe you're like Peter today. You're more beholding the empty tomb. You, you, you've gone inside and you're like, all right, there, it's empty. There are grave clothes here. What's happening? I'm, you're kind of in a state of wonder about it all. And that's another way of seeing, isn't it? It's another way of believing. And that's a good place to be, to be in wonder, to be saying, this is a mystery to me. I don't have it all figured out, but I think God's up to something, like the other disciple. <laughs> you have the possibility of belief. You have the possibility that this God could be up to something, and that's faith as well. We'll never have the facts, but we can have the faith. We can still behold the empty tomb. So I don't know where you're at today, but I would say this. My hope for you today is that you're experiencing, experiencing, encountering the risen Christ. Because it's your experience of the risen Christ that will help you to believe. That he, maybe you might hear something. <laughs> maybe you might see something. But that will help you to believe. I don't know what it is. I believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God will work in your life. I believe that you can experience the risen Lord. And I say that because I have. I've never seen Jesus risen physically, but I have heard from Jesus and I have experienced Jesus' grace in my life. You know, I was in a conversation last year, interfaith conversation with uh, a, a group of Muslims. And I was invited to the mosque to have this interfaith dialogue and I was in a room uh, with other Muslims and there were a few other uh, people there. They were not Christians. I was the only Christian in the room and then we sat around the table and we were learning, hearing stories and learning about the Muslim faith. And I don't know, if you put a Christian in a room, at some point I'm going to say something about Jesus. I, I just can't help it, right? And it's not like I'm, I wasn't trying to convert anybody. I wasn't trying to put my faith on anybody. But as a Christian, I carry Christ with me everywhere I go. And so naturally the conversation came around to Jesus, I didn't ask it to go that way. I didn't facilitate it. I didn't force it. It just came up because they knew I was a Christian. And so I began to have this discussion about Jesus. And then one of the men, the Muslim men in the group, began to get very forceful with me. And he said, well, Jesus wasn't resurrected. And I was like, well, tell me more about that. And he began to explain to me how Jesus didn't really die. <laughs> that, that they believed that, that, that he didn't really die, that he wasn't raised from the dead, that that he was just kind of mostly dead. Anybody seen The Princess Bride? You know? <laughs> he was just mostly dead. And then he actually just came back to life because of the time, you know, and I, and this is a very famous theory that I have studied and I'm aware of. It's called the swoon theory. And he began to lay it out and explain it to me very nicely. And I'm like, oh, this sounds very familiar to me. I've heard this before. So I said, well, can I share some things with you? And as soon as I tried to share the fact that Jesus was scourged before he was crucified, something that didn't happen to the other two people that were crucified. Pilate thought that if we could have him whipped and scourged ahead of time, maybe he wouldn't have to be, maybe that would satisfy the crowd, but ends up that didn't satisfy the crowd. They still wanted to crucify him. So that's why he cannot even physically carry the cross to the hill on which he was crucified. 
because he had lost so much blood, he had been so beaten at that point that he could not physically make it up the hill carrying the cross. He needed someone else to carry the cross, which says something about the condition, right? Then he was crucified, which is a horrible way to die. I won't go into the details. And then they heard him, saw him breathe his last. And I began to explain all this, and then the, the soldier pierced his side and proved that he was, you know, basically they were checking. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how they checked to see if he was truly dead. They knew he was dead. And so I began to explain this, but what he did was he kept cutting off. He wouldn't even listen to my story. He kept cutting him off. Then at that moment, I learned <laughs> they were trying to convert me. <laughs> They were trying to convert me. And now I understand how it is when someone tries to convert you as a Christian. Like, I know Christians that do the same thing. Hopefully, we, you never feel that way about me or someone here. But a lot of times, we're, we're kind of, we, we try and force our argument. He was trying to force his argument on me. And, and uh, finally, I had to just say, well, you know, that you're, I, I have to just respect your belief. But I learned something in that moment. And there's a few things. I, one, I learned what it was like to try and be converted by a, a Muslim. The other thing I learned was my belief is not dependent upon his belief. I learned that no matter what other people believe or don't believe, that I don't need other people to justify what I believe. I don't need you to believe so that I can believe. Does that make sense? And why is that? Well, there's one other thing. And that is that I've experienced Christ. So I can't unsee Jesus like Mary. I, I can't undo what Jesus has done in my life. <laughs> and believe me, I, I've studied all the religions of the world. I've talked with atheists. I've had arguments with atheists. I've read the arguments of atheism, agnosticism. I've, I've talked to all the other, I've talked to people of other faiths, not only Muslims, but Hindu. Uh, Zao, uh, sorry, I'm losing my brain here. That's it, Taoism. So I've talked about these different ways, learn of Buddhism, so forth. And I keep coming back to Jesus. I keep coming back to the fact that, that Jesus is real to me. Why? Why? I'm not threatened by these conversations. I don't get defensive about these conversations. I'm welcoming these conversations. It's because I've seen the risen Lord in my own experience, not with my eyes, but with my heart, with my experience. I can't unsee Jesus in that way. I keep coming back to Jesus because I know that Jesus loves me and that Jesus is present in my life. I have experienced the presence of Jesus in my life. That I cannot change. I can't undo that. Just like Peter and Mary and the disciples can't undo what they saw. My hope is that you have that experience of the risen Lord that you celebrate, and if, if you're not there yet, it's okay. Wherever you're at, it's okay. But I pray and I hope that you'll take a step towards Jesus today, that you'll just move to the possibility of belief in the resurrection, that you'll move to the possibility that Jesus, that you too could experience Jesus the way I have experienced Jesus, that Jesus' presence in your life would work in you, because I believe that a life with Jesus is a better than a life without Jesus. I know that to be fact. I know that to be my experience. So when I say Christ is risen, he is risen indeed here in my life. Amen?
Let's pray together.